Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast weekly sermon podcast. Due to the coronavirus crisis, we're holding church services online until further notice, and we encourage you to join us. For info and updates, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at New Life SoCo and visit our website at newlifesouthcoast.com. Now here's an encouraging word. I would encourage you to get your Bibles. We're going to finish today. We're going to wrap up our series that we've been on for the last several weeks in the book of Acts, we've been talking about living a spirit-filled life, and we decided to go back to the book of Acts, back to the beginning of the birth of the church, because they say if you want to know where you're going, you got to know where you came from. And so we have an incredible legacy that is called the Christian movement that started over 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to earth, died on the cross, rose again, sent his spirit, and says, now the church, the living, breathing people of God, is going to go all over the world and bring this good news. And so today I want to wrap up this series by looking at the last chapter of the book of Acts in Acts 28. I'm going to read the last two verses in Acts 28. And I'm actually going to read out of the message translation, which is a paraphrase of the Bible. But I love the way the message translation puts it here. And it ends this way. This is how the book ends. This is the entire thing. This is how it ends. It ends like this. Paul, the apostle Paul, lived for two years in his rented house. He welcomed everyone who came to visit. He urgently presented all the matters of the kingdom of God. He explained everything about Jesus Christ. His door was always open. Weird way to end a book. You ever watch a movie and and it ends and you're like, ah. You ever been disappointed by the end of a movie or series that you've been watching? It just like ends and you're like, Wait, what? Now, you, now, now you're like, your mind is like agitated because you're like, I, want, I need to know more. I need to know ex- like, what happened to that kid? What happened to, to that couple? What happened to that guy? Like, you guys don't watch movies? You're looking at me weird. I I'm, I'm, just want to make sure. I know you guys are too holy. You don't even watch movies. Ah, well, time for movies, pastor. Your pastor loves movies. <laughs> I just get a lot out of movies. So this to me is how this ends. It ends really kind of abruptly. It ends kind of weird. Like, wait, that's it? Like, out of all, everything we've been through all, all along, and we get to this place, and it just says, his door was always open. A little weird. Just pretend you're with me. Like, it's a little weird, right? To end a book, his door was always open. I have a lot of questions. You ever finish a movie, like, I got more questions. I'm just, like, you can't sleep now, because you're like, I invested two hours, and now I got more questions than answers. Um, that's how this book kind of feels to me. It kind of ends in a weird kind of way. Now, I'll fill you in a little bit. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is on house arrest. Because he's a Roman, Empire, a, a Roman citizen, he's allowed to wait trial on his own terms. So he rents this house. He's on house arrest. He can't go anywhere. Right? He has to wait trial. Right? If you've been reading the book, you know that he's, he appealed to the Roman Empire and said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. I want my day in court because I was wrongly accused for just preaching the gospel, which people still get wrongly accused for preaching the gospel all over the world. Like, we should be grateful that we live in a nation where you can still preach the gospel freely. But you, I don't know if you know this, for example, in Russia, it's illegal to evangelize. Crazy, right? True story. Go look it up. But anyway, so he's on house arrest, waiting trial for two years. While he's, in, while he's waiting trial for two years, he writes four letters that are now part of the Bible. While on trial, right, listen, two years on house arrest, he writes, he writes Philippians, 
Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Four books that now are called inspired books that we now read later on, like 21 centuries later. This guy is on house arrest. He, he writes four books. So I'm going to ask you the question this morning. What the heck have you been doing with your crisis? The guy's on house arrest for two years, and he writes four books that makes it into the Bible. <laughs> like, what have you been doing with your COVID-19 crisis? Hopefully, you're doing something that's changing the world, right? Because people are at home complaining about being home. This guy's on house arrest going, hey, I'm going to take advantage of this, and I'm going to write some books to these places that we have churches. Didn't even realize it that one day, these letters will become inspired word of God that today we will read. My friends, it's how you view your crisis. Don't waste your crisis. God will not waste any moment, any situation, any circumstance. Right? And, and, and Paul had done three mission trips. Now, I don't, I'm not talking about the, the one-week trips that we do nowadays. Paul did extensive mission trips to, to preach the gospel of Jesus. Took him about 13 years to go on this trip. When you read the book of Acts, when you get to Paul, Acts 9, Acts 10, all the way to 28, that's about 13, 15 years of them preaching the gospel. Why do I say this? Because a lot of times when we read the Bible, we read it and we're like, how come it doesn't happen like that anymore? You forget that you're reading the highlights. This is like watching Sports Center. Okay? It's not the full game. It's like you're watching the highlights. Like a, when you watch a Sports Center, they will shrink down a game that took two and a half hours to like 30 seconds. Right? And so this is 13 years later that Paul gets to this place. Why is this important? Because it's a journey. It's a journey. It's a long-term game. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Can you say amen? So listen, 13 years. I want to show you this map real quick just to give you an, an idea of what we've covered in the last... Listen, last eight, nine weeks, we, we've been in the book of Acts. This is what we've been doing, in a sense, kind of looking at this whole map of how the gospel was spread from this little place. Israel is so small. It's the tiniest place. Right? But from here, Jesus had prophesied. He said, listen, you're going to start here in Jerusalem. Right? You're going to go to Judea. And you're going to go to Samaria. And then you're going to go to the ends of the earth. For them, the ends of the earth in that, in that time period was here. Rome. This is where Paul is now. Right? After three extensive mission trips to all over Asia Minor, to all over Europe, right? establishing churches in every single city... Okay. This is where you get your books from, right? If you look at these, like, for example, Corinth, that's the book of Corinthians, right, in, in Greece, right? And so if you just span this, you realize, wow, this is amazing that Jesus had prophesied that this would happen in Acts 1. And here we are now in Acts 28. This thing is spread. So this last trip of Paul takes him all the way from here all the way to here. About 13 years, my friends, of journeying with the Lord to bring the gospel to the known world at the time. And so he's here awaiting trial just for preaching the gospel, right? So the whole point is the book of Acts is not following every single disciple's movement. It's following a couple of disciples' movement because some of the other disciples went in a different, different direction. For example, Thomas. You know about doubting Thomas? Thomas takes the gospel all the way to Africa and India. Like, this is another layer of this whole thing. 
Why is this important? Because a lot of times we think this is it. No, this is not it. This is just a couple of disciples that they followed to show you where the gospel went. Remember, the book of Acts was written by Luke. Luke was a physician who wrote the, look of the, the gospel of Luke, and now he's following up with the book of Acts to just give you an idea of how the gospel has been spread so far. Are you tracking with me? We're, we're going somewhere here. So Paul ends up in Rome. Two years, this is about 62 AD, he gets released. He gets released. What does he do? Well, he continues to preach the gospel. And he writes two more books after he gets released. He writes to, the, he writes to a, a, a leader called Titus. Familiar with the book of Titus? And then he writes to a young leader named Timothy. It's Paul's last letter is First and Second Timothy, which he's mentoring these two leaders in how to be leaders in the church and how to lead local churches. His last book is Second Timothy. About 64 AD, Paul gets killed for his faith. Paul gets martyred. Paul gets decapitated for simply being a follower of Jesus. Under the Roman Empire, when Nero decided to persecute Christians because Nero believed that Christians were a plague or a curse to the empire. So this is the reality, my friends, that these guys went through to, to bring the gospel. Now, I, I believe this that the book of Acts ends in a weird way on purpose. I believe it ends in a weird way on purpose because the book of Acts can never end. That's the whole point. If the book of Acts ends, then we're in trouble. Right? Because truly, the book of Acts is the acts of the Spirit through the church, the people. So if that ends, then what the heck are we doing here? You see why it ends weird? It ends weird because I think in a sense it's like it's passing on the baton and saying, it's your turn. Are you spirit-filled? Are you going to empower the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? My friends, today I want to reflect a little bit on this reality of us being spirit-filled people because I believe that it comes with some divine responsibilities. I think the Holy Spirit has expectations of us. One amen in the house. I think the Holy Spirit has expectations of us. Amen. I don't think he just decided, I don't think the, the whole point was never for us to just show up. I, I think it's for us to take this thing further than they were able to. I don't think he sits in jail for two years writing his books for them to just be enlightened. I think he's writing these things to say, hey, I'm trying to pass you the baton here. I'm trying to tell you that the Spirit of God comes to empower you. It's your turn now to take this thing to further than we were able to take it. Because think about this, right? Jesus said you would go to the ends of the earth. But the first disciples could not go to the ends of the earth. They didn't go to the ends of the earth. What Jesus was saying is, no, it starts with these guys, but this thing's going to multiply and it's going to get on to the next person into the next person. And here we are, 2020, in New Bedford and Forever and online. It's our turn. Tell your neighbor, it's your turn. Tell the right neighbor, it could be our turn together. I always try, you know. Friends, today I want to reflect because here's the thing. I don't believe that the goal is to attain information only. I believe the goal 
is to attain information that leads to transformation. We don't need more information in our world. What we need is application of the information. Right? If all we do is come and attain information, who's going to take this thing to the ends of the world? So the goal is not just to come here and say, hey, look, I got more information on the book of Acts. I see what Paul did. The goal is to say, man, that's the information that's going to lead now to me applying this thing so that I can also push the narrative forward and the movement forward because it's my turn. Can you say it? It's my turn. No, no, say it like, like you mean it. Like, it's my turn. Tell your neighbor, no, no, it's my turn. Like, can you imagine if we were stubborn about these things? We're stubborn about a lot of things, but what if we become stubborn about doing the will of God? So, let's reflect a little bit this morning. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Question number one, you guys can go to the question. No, no, question. This. What is the Spirit speaking to you about? He's a living, breathing person. And if you've been paying attention the last several weeks, he's got to be telling you something. What is he telling you? What is he speaking to you about? I believe this. When you are paying attention to the Spirit of God, there are certain things that are just going to jump out of you. It's going to burn within you. And he won't leave you alone. Sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night. If you pay attention, the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you something. Instead of complaining about, oh, I'm up again. It's like, Lord, what are you trying to say? Remember, this whole crisis, you can look at it as a nuisance or you can look at it as a disruption from the Holy Spirit. He's trying to disrupt things so we can be aligned with him. So today we want to reflect. We don't want to be going quickly, just give you more information. We've got to ask the question, what is the Spirit telling you? I really believe he speaks to you if you're paying attention. And if he's speaking to you, then, then, then what will you do because of it? What will you do? Because this whole movement is a doing movement. It's not a hearing movement. The Bible says don't just be a hearer of the word, be a, a doer of the word. So if he's speaking to you, what will you do, my friends? And I will tell you this, the Holy Spirit will not reveal more to you if you won't do what he's already asked you to do. Why would he waste more revelation on you? If you won't do with what he's already given you. It's funny. No, this is important because I hear a lot of church, church people. Church people talk about, I want to be fed. I want to be fed. It's like, what are you, two? <laughs> when are you going to feed yourself? Yeah. Yes. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. From people who talk about like, you know, I'm just not being fed anymore. It's like, wait, I don't want to feed my kids for the rest of my life. Yes. One of the greatest blessings that's ever happened to me is that now three out of five are feeding themselves. <laughs> You know how awesome it is to wake up in the morning and come downstairs and be like, oh, y'all are eating? Awesome. I think that's Christianity in a nutshell. I got to get to a place that now I can feed myself and also feed others. I tell you, it's the most immature thing you hear from church people. I want to be fed. It's like, here's a bib. No, it gets to a place, now you have to feed others. 
So if the Spirit is speaking to you, I guarantee you it has something to do with doing. I guarantee you that. And you won't hear this from a lot of pastors. It's not about reading your Bible more. It's about doing your Bible more. (laughs) Some Christians need to stop praying about stuff and start doing what they're praying about. Oh, y'all ain't ready this morning. I was praying about something the other day. I'm get, true story. I was praying about something. I heard the Spirit say, why are you praying about something I already told you what to do? Uh, am I the only one who hits with the two by four once in a while? He's like, what do you mean? I already answered that prayer. I'm going to do it. So what are we going to do about it, right? I want to help us out. I want to, I want to refresh our memories of what we've, we've covered the last several weeks, right? Let's go on a quick memory lane. Acts chapter 1, the Spirit comes to empower us to be what? Witnesses. Not bystanders. Comes to empower us to be witnesses of the gospel of Jesus. Go on. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit-filled life leads to Spirit-filled communities. It's not one or two people. It's everyone being spirit-filled not to take this thing further, right? We talked about the ingredients of a spirit-filled community. They pray. They fellowship. They preach the word. But then they see more and more people come to know Jesus, right? Let's keep going. Acts chapter 6. We each have spirit-filled all of us. All of us. What I love about the book of Acts you will not see the wrong understanding of church where one or two people do all the work. You won't find it. You won't find anyone saying, look, my pastor's amazing. (laughs) What do you hear? The Holy Spirit is amazing because the Holy Spirit is in all of us. That's another thing we need to be careful in this 21st century celebrity pastorship. You don't see that here. The only celebrity you see is the Holy Spirit because only he can heal, only he can restore, only he can save, only he. I told the staff this week, I know I'm doing my job well when you barely see me. Some of y'all will get that tomorrow. If you're barely seeing me, that means all of us are doing the work. All of us have a role to play. All of us can can bring healing. All of us can preach. All of us can bring the gospel of Jesus. Acts chapter 7 says, Holy Spirit empowers us to discern between healthy and unhealthy fears. Oh God, we need this so bad right now. If all you do is... Is, is attend to the gospel of the media, you're going to get all unhealthy fears. You better get in tune with the Holy Spirit and start asking, hey, help me discern because some of this stuff is a little weird. Well, no, a few weeks ago they told us no mask. Seven weeks ago then they said mask. And now they're saying leave your house. No, don't leave your house. No, don't do this. No, don't do that. Listen, go ahead and don't breathe anymore because breathing is bad. Listen, you better ask the Holy Spirit for discernment. Acts chapter 10. The Holy Spirit breaks barriers, racial, cultural, religious. The first disciples were racist. You don't believe me? Go read it. Paul Peter's like, heck no, I won't go into that man's house. (laughs) He's a man of God. 
You know how many men of God are racist? Oh, y'all ain't going to talk to me today. You know, all lives matter, yeah, but that guy's life didn't seem to matter. Oh, y'all ain't going to talk. Peter was like, Jesus, all Jewish lives matter. Jesus is like, yeah, but I like Gentiles too. <laughs> Hello, somebody. Y'all ain't ready for me today. So the Holy Spirit is like, well, we got to break some barriers down here because I want everyone to know the gospel. I want everyone to be permeated with my truth and my will and my purpose. And guess what? We're going to come and break racial, cultural, and religious barriers. All denominations matter. Funny thing is, you won't find one in the Bible, though. Go ahead, read it. Show me one denomination in the Bible. If we are fighting over denomination stuff, the Holy Spirit's like, I never even created one. <laughs> Acts 15, the Holy Spirit says the gospel should be your baseline. I pray when you vote, you vote the gospel. Oh, man, I pray when you're making decisions, it's based on the gospel. Because yes. if the gospel is not your baseline, you're always going to fall on either the left or the right. But the problem with the gospel is it says it's grace and truth. You can't pick one or the other. You have to be living in that tension of grace and truth. Yes. If you're not living in a tension of grace and truth, then it's not the gospel that's your baseline. It's you. Yes. The greatest religion of our day is me. Yes. Me-anity. Yes. I get to decide. I get to say, well, that's not the gospel. The gospel says all fall short. Only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Acts 17. We share the gospel because Jesus is the best option for life. My friends, I love Jesus because Jesus makes me better at life. And life is better with Jesus. Like, this, this to me is a no-brainer, right? Once you meet Jesus, to me it's not do you go to church? No, do you do life with Jesus? Do you actually do your marriage with Jesus in it? Do you do parenting with Jesus? Do you do your finances with Jesus? Because when I do, my life is better. Right? I, this might sound weird to you. I say some things that maybe you don't hear a lot, but I don't even think about heaven. You're a pastor. No, I, I, think, I think heaven is more exciting here when you bring it to your house, when you bring it to your perspective, when you bring it to where you are. That's way more exciting to me. And I don't talk much about hell. Pastor, you don't believe in hell. No, I do. But I don't believe in the hell that we created. I believe in the hell that God says is true. I think, I think people send more people to hell than God does. Yes, yes, yes. Come on. No, I believe in the gospel. It's good news. It's good news to the world that's filled with bad news. I believe in shutting off the media and let the gospel be my media. Yes, yes. You know, that's the good news. So, my friends, what is the Spirit speaking to you about? Listen, we can't walk away from this without a clear-cut direction from the Spirit. Because if we don't act, we're not following Jesus. Here's another thing you find interesting. I don't know if you caught this reading the book of Acts. I hope you did. I don't know if you did or not. But you won't find in these 28 chapters 
one, one verse that says, be a Christian. What do you mean? Aren't we Christians? Actually, the only time in Acts 8 that they called them Christians, they were making fun of them. They were like, oh, those guys, they think they like that guy, Jesus. And and it's stuck. But Jesus never said, be a Christian. Jesus said, follow me. Oh, there's a difference, my friends. There's a difference between being a nominal person who has a religion that they check their box on, and there's a person who actually follows the prompting and the leading of God's spirit and where he's trying to take us. I pray that, I pray that Acts has shown us, don't be a Christian, be a follower of Jesus. Especially nowadays, you, Christian has a lot of connotations to it. You're Christian, you must be Republican. <laughs> And if you got offended, you're religious. <laughs> because you're more concerned about your party than following Jesus. There's some things you, you can't, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you can't deny the injustices of the world. Because your party is being put in question. Hello, somebody. If you're, if you're, Christian, you will say all lives matter. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, man, but right now, right now, this particular group of people who don't seem to matter. And the Spirit of God empowers me to be a person that fights for injustice. How does Jesus introduce his ministry? Go read it. He, he, he quotes Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He, he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to release the captives, and to preach the good news. Right, listen, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice anywhere, tells us the preacher, Martin Luther King Jr. So the gospel, my friends, is different. I believe this with all my heart. It's easy to be a Christian. It's easy to say I'm a Christian. You hear all the time. But it's challenging to say, I'm following Jesus. Because I don't know about you, man. I read Jesus and I I get uncomfortable. Especially like he's really, really hard on religious people. Like I'm a pastor. He's really hard on pastors. You think we got it easy? He's hard on us. Because he's like, y'all are supposed to represent me. He's really hard on people who say that they love God but don't love people. He's really hard. You know, I don't, you know we translated him into this cute European with blue eyes and blonde, beautiful hair. He does shampoo commercials. But that Jesus doesn't exist. We conjure that up. The Jesus that exists says, man, I'm calling you to do some hard things. But guess what? Nothing is impossible to those who are doing it by the power of my spirit. If you can do it, then you can do it. But if you can't do it, then you might be following Jesus. Oh, man, I'm telling you, this is a good word. So, I feel strongly about this. I felt that the Spirit of God led us to the book of Acts to say, will you take on the baton? to be followers, not just religious people. The question that's been burning in me, and I want to share this with you, is here's another question to reflect on. Who will know Jesus because of you? That's good. That's good. The 
this is the legacy of the book of Acts. We have this because they were so consumed with the gospel that they went through hell on earth to give us the gospel. They paid with their lives. Eleven out of the twelve disciples were killed because they preached the gospel. That's the blood of the martyrs. When you get to Revelation, the last book in the Bible, there's one disciple left, John, and he's been isolated in an island called Patmos because of the gospel, and they try to burn him alive, and they try to isolate him to make him go crazy, and that's where Jesus comes and says, man, you've been faithful. Let me reveal to you what's coming. So who will know Jesus because of you? Because you witnessed Jesus. I tell you, this is, the, this is the questions that I think if we're following Jesus, we got to take it to heart and say, when people meet me, what do they see? Do they just see a religious person or do they see someone who actually is trying to follow Jesus? These are the questions that to me, my friends, should burn us, should like motivate us, should wake us up in the middle of the night and say, Lord, what about me? What legacy am I leaving behind? One time we had a man in our church called John Piper probably heard the book 90 minutes in heaven we had him come to the church and share his story of being declared dead for 90 minutes all documented but one of the things that stood out to me when he when he shared he said when I got to heaven for those 90 minutes he says one thing that stood out to me is the people that came to greet me all of them had played a role in me being a follower of Jesus so the question is, who's going to come meet you because you played a role in them being followers of Jesus? Wow. Think about it. Wouldn't that be one of the greatest legacy in life? Wouldn't you be loved if your tombstone said, I led people to Jesus? That's a, that to me is a great way to think about life. Am I living a life in such a way that I'm leading people to Jesus? That to me is the act legacy, my friends, that all of us need to pay attention to. So I want to give you some practical action steps about what I think the Holy Spirit is leading some of us. And each one of us have to be honest about it. After you pray about it, you got to ask, okay, God, what are we going to do? Because the reality is, Cemeteries are filled with people who prayed about it. But didn't act on it. So let me give you some practical things. Again, it could be that the Holy Spirit is not leading you to do any of these things, but I'm just giving you some things that I believe is burning in me because here's what I'm sensing, here's what I'm believing in this, in this chaotic season that we're in. I really believe that the best is still yet to come for the followers of Jesus. <laughs> I really do. I, sometimes I feel that the Holy Spirit tells you things that makes no sense in the natural. It's like, what do you mean the best is yet to come? Things are getting worse. But usually that's the recipe for revival. That's the recipe for awakening. It's usually when it gets really bad, and really when it gets really worse, then we cry out to God, and God says, oh, now I can move because you realize nothing else is going to help you. Nothing else is going to come through for you but me and my spirit. 
So I believe that there are great days ahead for the Church of Jesus Christ, Capital C Church, not just the church here in New Bedford or Fall River or online. I'm talking about the Capital C Church, Universal Church of God. There are some great days ahead of us. And the, the word that's been burning in me, my friends, is the word multiplication. I believe we're going to multiply and we're going to see thousands upon thousands of people come to know Jesus. And the awesome thing about that is you and I could play a role in it. How would you like to be part of a movement of God that helped thousands come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Man, if that doesn't excite you, man, let's call the EMT. But look, practically speaking, here's what I think. If you, if you watch online, there's a, there's a, a deeper step for you than just watching. You could become a host. When you read this, what do you see? House churches everywhere. The map that I showed you, every little ping had a house church in it. People who said, hey, Paul, you can't stay here because you can't do it all, right? But you share the gospel with us, and we're willing to take it now and help our city get to know Jesus. And guess what? Whatever you're watching from, we've been hearing people are watching from Chicago, from Maryland, from Bermuda, from Haiti. Guess what? How about you become a host in your house and bring the gospel to your family and to your city where you are? And if you're interested, Email us because we're ready to do this. We're ready to get to know you. We have an application. We have a process to get you to become an online community host. How cool is it? I don't know if you can do this, but when I see that map that I just showed you, I see a different map. I see a map here in the nation that can say New Life Communities in Chicago, in, in California, in every part of the world. Oh, online, you should be excited. You should get out of your couch and give God a praise you can be a host. Here's another group of people that I see. How about you become a mentor? Because here's what I see. You will never find these guys going, I'm not being fed. They wouldn't even think about that. Because they're like, man, I'm fed enough. Who can I feed? Who can I feed? Who can I pour into? Lower this for a second because I need to get this message across. My friend, if you've been a Christian for at least a year, you need to mentor somebody. You need to mentor somebody. You like literally take someone on a journey with you and say, I'm gonna help you walk with Jesus. I'm gonna teach you how to pray. I'm gonna teach you how to read the Bible. I'm gonna teach you how to get away from, from, from temptations and trials and tribulations. Like, I'm gonna walk with you. I'm gonna give you what I know. Because that's when you know your faith is real. I think the ultimate test of discipleship is who are you discipling? I believe this with all my heart. We have jacked up what discipleship is in the 21st century church. We think discipleship is going to seminary and become really, really smart intellectually, but we have no heart for people. I, I think we've messed up what discipleship is. We think discipleship is knowledge. But last time I checked, the same Paul who wrote these books, he said, knowledge puffs you up, but it's love that builds people up. Do you have the power to love others and help them grow? So if you've been a Christian for a little bit, stop asking the wrong questions. It might be in fed. That's a childish question. A mature question is, God, who do you want me to feed? How about you become a hero maker? 
That's what has been bothering me. How about I make more disciples by giving to others? How about instead of going to church asking God for revelation, how about you start asking God for a disciple? All of us can disciple somebody. And if you're waiting to be perfect to disciple, you will never disciple anybody. Because God would rather take you in your brokenness because then you can teach somebody something real. The worst thing we can do is teach people lies. I tell you, what burns me up about church, capital C Church, is that we lie a lot. We lie through religious words. We show people a picture of perfection and we know it's not real. The best discipleship is when you do it when you're broken. So people can see, oh, that's how you do it. Simple discipleship is inviting someone over your house and see your mess. So they can feel like, oh, I'm not the only one. The greatest thing a human being can hear from another human being is, oh, me too. So you don't have to be perfect to be a disciple, you just gotta be human. You just gotta be human. And let me save you guys an email real quick. All religious people, hear me really quick. I am not into giving you more knowledge to, so you can say you know the Bible. I don't want to hear that nonsense. I want to hear you say, Lord, that word builds me up to go build somebody up, to go help somebody up, to go equip somebody up. If we're not talking about that, don't come, don't come talk to me. Six years here, the biggest obstacles that I've heard is from religious people. Oh, you guys don't, 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 you don't, you don't talk about holiness. What is holiness? If not living in a mess with a God who is holy. What is holiness? What, what is the gospel other than the gospel? <laughs> you guys have a watered down God. What does that mean? Because we don't give people rules and regulations, but we give them our lives and we try to show them the will of God and the purpose of God. Give me a break. Oh, let me vent for a second. Religious people bored me. I'm bored by that stuff. Bless you, brother. Thank you, brother. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Pray. Yeah, but can we get beyond that now? Because there's some people out there that could use a real person. How about we become hero makers? How about we, we help other people build up? Check this out. How cool would it be that through you, other people can get to know Jesus, and then they can do the same thing for others? That's discipleship, which leads me to number three. Here's something we all can do. We can lead a crew. Why? Because when I read this, I see spiritual communities everywhere. They had a central location, to get the game plan, but then go and execute it for themselves. You will never say, hey, we're waiting for the pastor to come. <laughs> Again, things you never read in the Bible. Because the Spirit-filled people know what to do. They only call the pastor when something, they couldn't figure it out. They're like, counsel, <laughs> what do we do here? They were proactive about their faith. So guess what? We can have crews all over the South Coast region. Group of people will say, man, we're gonna do life together. If you have a need, we're gonna meet it. Right, if you, if, if, oh, you, you got someone in, your, in the hospital? So pass the king, visit everybody. Guess what? We're in, we're gonna visit. We're, we're gonna bless you, and we're gonna help you, and we're gonna empower you. Like, that's, that's what I see here. 
pastor can't come for dinner. How about we have dinner? <laughs> that cracks me up because people think like the pastor has some magical thing that he shows up, dinner gets better. <laughs> dinner can be more awkward with the pastor. <laughs> but with a group of friends that you've been doing life with, Forget the pastor. He's going to ruin this thing. We, we, we're having a good time here. If he comes, well, now we've got to pretend. Now we can't make a mistake. He's the pastor. He's here. <laughs> if we do this right, my friends, I'll be out of a job. <laughs> They're like, who's that guy that keeps yelling up there? Because we do everything else. <laughs> And here's the, here's the last one. We can all witness. Man, the in church need a church. We can all witness. There's no prerequisite for being a witness outside the fact that you know Jesus. All of us. Can you imagine if all week long we're like, God, give me one unchurched person. Just give me one. I don't want to go to church by myself anymore. I don't want to go and, and critique the worship and, and let's see how great he preaches. No, I want to bring my friends and my loved ones so they can know Jesus because when they get to know Jesus, man, my life gets filled. Like I get excited when, the, when, when someone else gets to know Jesus because I remember the day I got to know Jesus. I want some other people to get to know Jesus. And I pray that by, by the time my life ends, man, so many people have come to know Jesus. I pray you look back over your life and say, look how many people got to know Jesus because I played a role. I played a role. To me, that's what the book of Acts is all about, my friends. How many people will know Jesus because of you? I wouldn't be here if people didn't invest in me over the years. Had so many people play a role. The best way for me to pay them back is to help other people get to know Jesus. I've been praying for my neighbors to know Jesus, and I had a great conversation with one of them this week. I love telling people about Jesus because I know that life is better with Jesus. Come on, would you stand with me today as we pray together? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about? I believe if you quiet your spirit long enough, you're going to hear His voice. I believe the Holy Spirit is so personal that you're going to go home, he's going to confirm what he wants you to do. It's going to be a random day, a Tuesday or Wednesday, all of a sudden, it just, you can't shake it. You know, he's telling you, yeah, I want you to start a crew. I want you to start an online community. I want you to go to that neighbor and tell him about me. Man, you've been, walk, you've been working here for two years. You haven't told anybody about Jesus. It's about that time. I don't think he brings guilt trips. I think he brings excitement. Religion is about guilt trip. It's following Jesus. It's like a roller coaster ride, bro. You never know what's going to happen. And if you're like me, I'm like, oh my God. What is he telling you? Would you bow your heads with me for a second and internalize it and say, right now, ask that question. Holy Spirit, what are you telling me? What are you telling me in this season? How do you want me to activate my faith? How do you want me to do your will in this season?
For some of you, I believe the Holy Spirit is saying you need to surrender your life to Jesus because everything starts with that surrendering. If you're not surrendered to Jesus, then you're not following Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, you're just being religious. So it all starts with surrendering. So whether you're here in person or in forever or watching online, that's the first step. Are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to say, Lord, I don't want to live my life my own will and strength anymore. If you're ready to surrender, I'll pray with you right now. With every head, bow, eyes closed. I want to pray. And if that's you, you're like, man, you're talking to me. I need to surrender. Then pray this prayer with me. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, he will come and save you, rescue you. So pray this with me. Say, Father, I'm ready. I need to surrender. I pray for Jesus to come into my life, to forgive me my sins, to empower me, to live life in the fullness of his will. From this day forward, I'm not a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. By the power of his spirit, I pray. Amen. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.